0: You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I created this podcast along with everything I do at yourparentingmentor.com to support and inspire you to be the best parent you can be. I know for a fact and from experience that parenting was never meant to be done alone. From conception to preschool, My mission is to give you the tools, strategies, and knowledge to embrace and elevate your parenting experience. I'm dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and guiding you to nurture your child's immense potential with as much joy and ease as humanly possible. Make sure to take time to check out all of the resources I have gathered for you in the show notes, as well as on my website, yourparentingmentor.com. And be sure to get on my email list so you do not miss a single episode and other products and events I curate specifically for you. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback. A warm welcome to you and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to the art of parenting. This is your host, Jeanne Marie Penel. And today I have Anne McKittrick, who will be speaking to us about what it takes to be parenting in the first three years of life. And I am very excited about this conversation because as we have been saying offline, we're both passionate about this stage of development and we want to support parents and caregivers uh, to care for our little ones. So, Anne, welcome, and thank you so much for making the time to be here with us today.
1: You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, as I always like to get started, um, I would love for you to kind of define what the art of parenting means to you.
1: I think that's a really... Beautiful question because it, it kind of looks at parenting as a multifaceted thing. It is an art and it is something that we all do if we are parents, but we all go, come about it in a very individual way. And so I would define parenting as really a developmental process. You know, one of the things I love about people is, and especially children, you know, they're so development is so, uh, Orderly and kind of predictable, you know. We can kind of know what's going to happen at any given time in a child's life, eh, you know, within a range. And um, and it's the same all throughout our life, all through adult development. And so, there the stages of parenting change as our child changes and grows. And so we, as people, are growing every step of the way as we are thinking about becoming a parent all the way till you know <laughs> our children are are gone and then they eventually begin to parent us. And so I I like to look it at look at it from this developmental process. Beautiful and and it's so true it
0: is, you know, these waves of development and and just there is so much learning that we go through as parents when we become parents and I think that's we, we forget that. I think oftentimes we think, you know, we're going to be guiding these children, but they guide us too.
1: <laughs> For sure. And, you know, the, and it, the questions come up all along the way, you know, um, just what do I do now? What, how do I manage this? What do I, how do I respond? And, and All the while, I just always had books in front of me. I was just always reading. (laughs) How did you do that? What do I do? What do I say? How do I respond? What's the best thing to do here? So I I would love, Anne, if you
0: could, uh, before we get too involved in our conversation, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your background and and how you came to do uh, the work that you're doing today. Okay.
1: Yeah, you know, I have always been an early childhood educator. I am I have degrees in education and human development, family studies. My, my uh, working career was always working with young children, with their parents, and with the students in colleges and universities who were learning to be early childhood teachers. And so I, I have always been a teacher, trainer, and mentor, college instructor. I always worked in lab schools and university settings. So I was actually working with children and parents, but I was also had college students in the classroom where we were defining and modeling and showing them how children were learning and how was the best way to respond to them through our efforts as teachers. And then, you know, went on to do lots of different things in that that particular career. And then about, oh gosh. Almost 10 years ago, I um, I was able to just kind of go off on my own. And so I now, um, I train early childhood teachers through online courses. And then I also work with parents one-to-one. And I also work with groups of parents. I have a parenting podcast, uh, Parenting from Birth to Three. And so I really have kind of pivoted my attention over towards working with parents still working with teachers but more with parents now
0: beautiful and I it sounds like a fascinating career to be in a lab school I love that that term where we really are observing and kind of analyzing and, and understanding children it was beautiful
1: right yeah it was a great opportunity for me to learn
0: <laughs> I bet I bet no I can I can imagine I worked actually in a uh, a lab school, I guess it was the, the model classroom in a, in a training institute. And I remember it was, you know, I was a teacher, so I was being watched all the time, (laughs) which was a little uh, nerve wracking at the beginning, but then you get used to it. And, 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 you know, people are watching the children anyway, observing the children, they're not watching you, but um, it, it was fascinating. I loved it. So, and, and where you, I loved how you were you know, when you were describing the art of parenting, you were saying that there's different developmental stages of parenting. What, what stage are you in?
1: I am in the departure stage. Um, our children are uh, young adults, and they are not living at home, and they are uh, fully independent and autonomous, and we get to have these adult relationships with them now. So that's, that's where I am in the departure stage. You might have heard it called empty nest, but yeah.
0: Yes. Yes, uh, I, and I had never heard uh, departure stage. I'm, I'm so I'm the same. I'm a empty nester. I have, I have traveling children right now. Both of them are nomads and and traveling. So <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun to follow along their adventures. Um, I guess, but wonderful, wonderful. So I would love to if we can uh, get back to kind of the topic of the first three years. I know uh, for me, I I feel like there's you know, these myths or misunderstanding of children in those early stages of development. And I would love if you maybe have two or three myths that we could bust today for whether, you know, parents, uh, expecting parents are listening or parents of young children or grandparents to better understand what our little ones are going through.
1: You know, I think that one thing that it's really important for us to understand is that, you know, it feels as if the world is really changing and that things are so different now. And, and, and I spend a lot of time talking with, with new parents and also reading what new parents are saying in social media around parenting. And, um, and things are different, but, But children are the same. You know, they haven't changed. The way they grow and develop has not changed. The environment in which they are living, in some cases, has changed in that, you know, I just, I observe kind of interesting things about children. And one is that uh, I feel like sometimes they are, so much of their interaction with one another is in a more formalized setting rather than an at-home setting. And I, I say this like when I when I think of children getting together or moms getting together, oftentimes it's at a program or a class or a situation where there's another person leading the children and watching and supervising the children, and they are watching or participating themselves. Um, and... I feel like there's not quite as much opportunity for one-on-one play inside other people's homes as there used to be, um, and I think that COVID kind of did that to us <laughs> partly in that we stopped going to each other's homes, and um, and it's I think that's one little very interesting nuance of change that I observe um, with young children is it's just it's just that one thing, you know. What do you think about that?
0: But, at the same time, you're saying that you are back in person groups now, correct, because that had all stopped during the pandemic as well
1: yes, 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 and it's
0: interesting because you you kind of mention you know the environment changing. what are you know besides this this notion of uh you know being in other people's homes and so forth. Are there, um, and I guess I'm, I'm sort of leading my, <clears throat> my question because it's something that I have noticed and it is this aspect of the digital era that we are in, how that is affecting our relationship with our children, I think, and, and the relationship children have of themselves. And do you, have you, have you seen that? Um, cause I know you have, you know, uh, many, many years of experience. So you have seen that evolution, you have observed that evolution. Do you see that affecting the way we are parenting and that we are caring for our children?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that um, it's, uh, you know, it's as if the phone has become a toy. (laughs) Yes, that's where I was getting at. Yes, Yes. We used to give our children toys, like to play with in the grocery cart, as you are going through the grocery store, now you see children with a phone watching a program as they're walking through the grocery store, and I think about what's going on in the brain of that child, and I think they're getting um, a totally different experience because when you focus on a screen or a video or whatever, and I, you know, I certainly can uh, attest to this because it's my own experience. When you're when you're doing that, it's really easy to to block out all of the other sound and even what you're seeing and um, and just focus on that one thing. And and so I feel like because this toy is kind of stealing children's attention away from the world around them. And, and there's so many things to see and experience at the grocery store, right? There's just all kinds of things. And that's just one example. But I do think that that toy is a very um non-responsive toy. <laughs> and we want to give our children good responsive toys, you know, that
0: Yeah. And and I would I would say like it is not a toy. <laughs> Do not give oh, no. the phone. Like it is not a toy. <laughs> it is your phone.
1: <laughs> a little bit of a babysitter sometimes, but that seems to be what people are using it as, I think. You
0: know. No, I, I and I was asking this because it, it's fresh on my mind. I was just um, writing a paper on this yesterday, and just how you know, for me, we're we're robbing our children from all of the developmental stages that they're going through, all of the you know refinement of their senses and all of that by by you know giving them this this device that just keeps them glued and yes it keeps them quiet and entertained but what is it doing to their brain long term is what worries me today
1: right I agree and you know I I haven't read the research real recently but the you know the movement on a screen is so quick and so it's training those little brains to to expect these really quick synapses, you know, this all of this quick movement in their brain. And then you go outside and it's just like the antithesis of that. Everything is just kind of slowed down. And you watch the the wind and the trees and it's just so slow as compared to what you might see on a screen. And and I I feel like, you know, that little brain is a little impatient with the slow stuff if it's only used to fast stuff. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of things that that I, that I think about with it, you know, one is just the development of language. You know, there's not opportunity to, to hear people talking because we're texting with each other instead of talking on the phone. And there, there's not as much opportunity to have conversation with a child if, if you are engaged with a device. And, and, and so I wonder about language development, how that's being affected. I wonder about attention and how that's being affected. I wonder about a lot of things with it, yeah.
0: Sure, sure. And 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 just the example of the grocery store, I mean, oh, my gosh, there's a, such a wide opportunity to give language to a child when we are shopping, like the colors, the smells, the the what is this, what is that, all, all of it. So, yeah, Um oh. So one thing that we, we, we kind of talked a little bit offline is this notion that, you know, we're very, I think, I feel that, that our, parenting information and so forth. I mean there there's just so much, you know, new parenting information. We know so much more about the brain than we did, you know, many years ago or maybe that our parents knew. And such, but one is this the importance of connection, of being having a relationship of connection. And I know that that can be a little bit harder or maybe Uh, parents worry when they are maybe working full time and, you know, having their children in daycare settings or in, in preschools and such. And they only have a few hours a day to be with them. What, um, like what advice do you give those parents that, that are maybe concerned about Having a good, deep, you know, connected relationships with their little ones.
1: You know, I think the first thing I would like to to reassure parents is that you know, for years I was an infant teacher, and so I would get babies very young. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, six weeks um, or three months of age, they would come into my classroom, and and I just think that everyone needs to know, in the bottom of their heart, that. The person who's with them, even if it's eight hours a day, maybe longer, you know, if you work a full eight hours a day and then you have your your travel time back and forth, your child will get connected. They will get attached to this caregiver, but your attachment and your connection with them always wins with your child. They'll never prefer the other person to you. They will always prefer you. And, um, and I think that that's a really important thing to remember is that, that your foundational relationship with your child is the main one. That's the big one. And, um, these peripheral relationships, the other people in their world that love and care for them, um, and they do love and care for them. You know, I can, I can attest to that. I loved my babies that I cared for, but, um, I, You know, I I just think it's really important to understand and remember that that your baby always loves you best. And um and so on those mornings when you drop them off and you have to cling this, you know, peel this clinging (laughs) two year old who's screaming and crying off of your leg and into the arms of the teacher. And then you have to go to work with that sound in your ears and that sadness in your heart that you had to leave them in that state. Just know also that it's very short lived and that you can trust that your child is okay in those, in that setting and call and find out, you know, you know, ask them to send a video of your kid, probably about a minute and a half after you walk down the hall, they've stopped the crying. (laughs) But, um, but just that, that emotional heaviness, is hard for parents. And, and I think it's really important for you to have a great relationship with the people that are caring for your children so that you can be assured and and that they can assure you that your your child is good, even if it didn't feel so good when you dropped them off. But do do think that makes it really hard to get to work, you know, to get to work and engage <laughs> with your meetings and your, your job when you have that, that laying on you.
0: Yeah. And, and I would, you know, I know with the, some of the parents that I work with who are, you know, working outside the home and they, they, they come home and they're, they're tired. They've, you know, they've had a hard day. Maybe they had some tough meetings. Maybe they had some, you know, clients that weren't happy, wh- whatever. And, um, and they come home and they're having to deal with their, you know children who who just want to be with them and they don't always have that energy to maybe deal I know I always like to encourage parents to have maybe a little transition moment uh before they step in the door or before they walk into the daycare or the preschool to pick up you know even if it's just 3 minutes of of you know, breathing in their car or going around, walking around the block or whatever. And it sounds like it would be a good idea to do that before stepping into work as well.
1: Right. That's a great idea. Yeah. I was just going to say, I have a friend and and they had uh, five children and dad, his name was John. Uh, his his wife stayed at home with the kids. She actually homeschooled the kids. And so she truly was with, you know, just up to her neck and children all the time and whenever he would come home from work, he would need to really be on and (laughs) available and give her a break. But he, every day on his way home, he would stop at the park and take a 15 minute nap to (laughs) discharge work and get himself ready to, you know, walk into the house and be present and be available and to, you know, just kind of have his head straight before he went home. And, um, and that's a great example of what you were just saying, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that was very, very, very wise of John to do that. And I think I would encourage all parents to look at their kind of their routine and their habits, because it's true. It takes, it takes a lot from us to, to be fully present and we can only do that if we're taking good care of ourselves. So,
1: yeah. And I think it's also kind of a mindset thing too, you know, like you may not have 15 minutes. Maybe that's just even not in the, you know, in the, in your world, but even just like when you set your keys in the bowl, <laughs> when you walk in the door, maybe that could just be a sign to yourself. Okay. I'm going to set all of these things in my head right here for now. I'll pick it up later on, you know, and, and think about it then, but just, you know, talking to yourself in that way.
0: Right. And sometimes I would encourage to put your phone down and away so you're not, again, distracted uh, with, with that as, as we were talking about earlier. Um, I know, Anne, that you uh, train uh, caregivers, right? Caregivers to work with early children. Is there in your in your experience with, you know, how many people you've trained and so forth, what are if, if somebody is listening that is maybe wanting to go down that route and and be uh, you know, have a profession of caring for younger children, what would be your advice? Like what type of personality or character are ideal for working in a setting like that?
1: That's a really great question. And you know, I've always thought that early childhood professionals are amongst the best people on earth because they are generally very kind and loving and happy people. <laughs> you know, they have, they have chosen to work with children because they love children, not because of the career opportunities and all of those things. Um, it, it's a profession that is a very much a heart driven p- profession. And, and so I think People know if they love to be around all children. You know, there's a real big difference between being with all children and being with your own children. And um, if you if you look at kids out there in the world and you just see them, you observe them, you appreciate them, you you think about why they're doing what they're doing, and you love to learn about why they're doing what they're doing, then I would say you'd probably be a great candidate for this, this type of work, you know? personality types. I don't know that necessarily there is even one, except that people of all different kinds of people make great early childhood providers and um, and teachers. And, and I'd say curiosity and uh, patience and um, joy are some of the key qualities that I've always looked for in teachers as I've done hiring and, and that kind of recruitment for programs and stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I asked that because I remember in my uh, Montessori training, I remember one of the trainers saying, especially about the, the NIDO, which is the, the babies, the infants, to be careful to not you know, walk in there thinking that you want to work with babies because, oh, babies are so cute, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because yes, they're cute, but they also cry and they also, you know, uh, have moments where we don't understand what it is that they need and so forth. And to me, that, that takes a special person to be able to not let, you know, three crying babies Get to you because it it can, you know, it can be triggering and it can be it can be tough to 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 manage, you know, our own self regulation when you've got you know three little ones that are crying and you're not quite sure what's going on.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because I, when I was an infant teacher, um, my colleague and I, we would just we would watch the phases of the moon. Honestly, it just almost felt like sometimes there were just. Days where everybody was unhappy and we're like, what's going on? You know, and, and of course, there's all these reasons why babies have fussy days and happy days. And, and you know, it has a lot to do with their development and just the, you know, the ebbs and flows of growing and, and learning and all of those things. But yeah, you know, I think that, um, being able to be in a classroom where there's a lot of crying all happening at the same time and you honestly cannot meet the needs of, of, we had eight babies in our room and you cannot, (laughs) you can't manage that if they're all eight crying. You have to just, you know, take it one at a time. You know, maybe you can hold two in your lap and hold a bottle in one of them's mouth. But sometimes you just have to say across the room, I see you. Um, I see you and I'm going to be there as soon as you know, as Joshua finishes this bottle, I'll be able to come over there and pick you up and hold you. I know that's what you want. I see you. <laughs> but in the meantime, they uh just they can't be picked up quite yet because you've got your arms full of another child. Right. Oh,
0: and and again, I think I, I wanna go back to my my initial question about what like maybe some of the questions that you get a lot from parents of their their children and maybe sometimes misunderstandings that we have about why, maybe why a child is, you know, having a meltdown or a tantrum or kind of, I, I, I just, I, I guess I feel sometimes that young children get a bad rap as to, you know, they're, 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 they're having meltdowns and tantrums, and we don't understand why. And it can be very, people can get very impatient with that. And it would be good if you could maybe explain the, the, the developmental stage of, of, you know, what, what is going on and how for us to best manage those situations.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the key word there is developmental stage. You know, we really do need to understand where our children are developmentally and, um, you know, um, understanding their, even their ability to, to have, uh, tolerance if things are not going their way. And, you know, you think of this year between year one and year two, you know, like, 12 months to 24 months. That's a, that's kind of a, it can be a volatile time for children because they, they're learning that they do have a little bit of power in this world, but they really don't know what to do with all of this power. But this power comes out in, in the tantrums and yelling and, and getting people to respond. They're learning about your response. And so I think one of the myths is, is that kids are doing this on purpose to get on your nerves, that they are intentional about, what they're doing because they know it's going to bother you so much. And, and that's really, I think, uh, giving them a little bit more credit than this do. I don't know that necessarily they have that ability to think about your perspective in that way, because they don't even understand that you have a brain of your own and that you have your own thoughts. They just want your attention. They want you to look at them. And, um, and so, you know, I, I think that's Really, an important thing is to understand where your child is developmentally and what they might be going through and what those ebbs and flows are in their development. Um, but you know, like a, with with a tantrum, I think it's really important to to respect the emotion of it and um, and sit with them. And you know, it's it's very frightening to feel that kind of emotion, um, but also to put some boundaries around it, you know, and like, you know, if a child is throwing things, then, you know, grab their hand and say, no throws, you know, we, we're going to, you can't throw your things. You can, you know, you might hurt yourself or you might hurt somebody, but giving some boundaries while also providing a lot of respect and dignity for who they are as a person, I think is a, is a really important thing to remember. Yeah. And I think what you said is, is so,
0: so important to, to remember is that they they're not intentionally doing anything to you know to annoy us like that. I always like to to say you know they're they're not giving you a hard time. They are having a hard time, and it is really our role to to help them you know maneuver through these these big emotions that they have no clue what's going on. So yeah, so so important. Thank you for that thank you for that great reminder. So, um, and as we we wrap up, I always like to kind of circle back to a more personal question, if I may. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you have uh, young adult children, What what is the age of the eldest? She is 31. 31. So if you were to go back uh, in a time machine 32 years ago when you were first expecting your first child. What wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today?
1: I think that I would tell myself to find somebody to help me (laughs) who can um, help me understand my own emotions around parenting. You know, because I was an early childhood person, there wasn't much that my children de- did in those early years that surprised me. I had, ar- I had already seen it all. I'd been worked with so many children. What did surprise me was my emotional response to them and to those tantrums and to those times that were, that were so hard. And um, I, had, I had my mom to help me, and she was tremendously helpful. And I also think that as I look back, I wish that during some of those um, transitional years, like you know, from early, uh, you know, mid-elementary through early adolescence, I think I could have used some help. <laughs> you know, like from somebody who would help me understand how to parent, how to respond to these to these changing kids who are really going through. A a huge change themselves, but the way I needed to parent needed to change. And I think I I could have used some help with that. So I think that I would tell myself, find yourself a coach, (laughs) find somebody who can help you and mentor you. And, and this, you know, um, it can, it can look a lot of different ways, but we need help. We need help. (laughs) We need somebody to help us along.
0: And no wonder you do the work that you do today. Yes, you're helping uh, parents. That's, that's wonderful. Any parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today?
1: Um, I would just like to say, um, to have grace for yourself and to understand where you are in your life and, and where your child is and how those things, how those two things mesh, you know, I would just really encourage you to, to um, consider your own development alongside your child and and how you can best understand yourself, reflect on on that and um, and let that inform how you respond to your child.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much and for your time and your wisdom today.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.